are about to listen to is a podcast produced by Philoclea Ministries. Philoclea Ministries is offered to all free of charge. However, there are real and immediate needs associated with it. If you are a regular listener or enjoy any of the content produced by Philoclea Ministries, we humbly ask that you consider becoming a contributor. You can learn more about our funding needs at www.philocleaministries.org. Please note that Philoclea Ministries is not a 401c3 nonprofit organization and that contributions are not tax deductible. Supporting Philoclea Ministries is just like supporting your other favorite podcasters and content creators, and all proceeds pay the production bills, make it possible for us to pay our content manager, and provide a living stipend for Father David. God bless you and enjoy the podcast. Glory to Jesus Christ, glory forever. Welcome back, everybody, to our study of the Evergatinos. And we are picking up this evening in the second volume uh, on page 52 at the very top of the page with the paragraph that begins perhaps. And if you remember, We've been speaking about uh, avoiding idleness in one's life and the importance of work, uh, not falling into a kind of laziness that uh, we want to keep ourselves active, uh, that to, there have been movements, as we'll hear in the coming hypotheses, where work was actually seen as something that was contrary uh, to God or the spiritual life, and uh, there were a number of groups of uh, heretics that sort of embraced this, and uh, and we see the fathers struggling against that, that even though they live in the midst of the desert, that they understood that uh, idle hands then uh, can lead to an idle mind or a mind that wanders, that keeping oneself busy and active, earning one's own food so one does not become a burden on others, but also keeping the the mind focused uh, helps to keep us from uh, daydreaming about things that could lead us into sin or being open uh, to temptation. And so again, we're picking up at the top of page 52. Perhaps, beloved, one has no need to endure struggles in order to learn to read and write. If you learned a worldly trade, will you not likewise have to endure endure toil? If then you endure for these things with long-suffering, is it not fitting that you should have to withstand all things for the sake of the Lord? For even the scripture says, Thou shalt eat the fruit of thy labors, and blessed art thou, and it shall be well with thee. And the apostle exhorts us, let him labor, working with his hands, the things which is good, so that not just the laborer will have to eat, but that he may have to give him that needeth. Thus he who hates work is not upright, for idleness manifests much evil, while he who loves work tastes no sorrow. So, you know, he first begins by having us look at those in the world that uh, from the earliest years learn how to read and write, but also learn a particular trade and uh, do all this to toil for the things of this world. And should we not toil, he asks then, uh, for the things that lead to God and the things are of God. So again, 
uh, not to uh, become a burden to others, to provide for oneself and in order that one might eat, uh, but also then to be able to provide out of one's abundance for, for those who are in need. So it allows us to fulfill uh, the call to almsgiving and uh, the call to, to feed those who are hungry. So it allows us to act with charity by engaging in a certain amount of work. And we'll, we'll see how this plays itself out. The monks in particular looked at work in a very, uh, I think, uh, balanced fashion in light of the life that they had chosen, that work wasn't an end in itself, uh, or, nor was it a place where one would find one's or seek one's identity, that that was to be found in Christ, and work was valuable insofar as it would lead one to him, or again, allow us to uh, serve others with love and charity. Beloved brother, if you should choose piety for yourself, take care, lest under the guise of piety, the evil one should put in your mind an alien thought. That is, the vain or prideful thought that you need not labor along with your brothers, so as supposedly not to imperil your piety. On the contrary, work like your soulmates and take care for your piety. For idleness destroys piety, and to those who embrace it, it gives a shameful name. Therefore, combine piety and your interest in work, and you will then be truly pious. So there's a, is it a male? I want to make sure I'm pronouncing it correctly. Uh, writes, the toil when working with the mind seems paradoxically heavier than the toil of working with the hands. How might we think about the difference between working with corporate grind versus with the monks consider work? Uh, yes, that, that absolutely was going to come up in the course of our discussion, uh, or inevitably, I would say, uh, that in our day, a different kind of work uh, seems to be demanded of us, or a majority of people uh, seem to move in that direction, which involves the, the use of the mind, computers, the constant engaging of others in discussion, uh, not so much the working with the hands. And the fathers preferred uh, a simple labor that involved working of the hands so that one could engage in that work while maintaining this constant remembrance of God. Whatever allowed one to stay recollected was preferred. And so work would not be extended beyond measure uh, nor would it be overly complex. Uh, all of these things would uh, make that uh, constancy in prayer very difficult. Now, li living in the world, I think it does create a kind of challenge for us not to slip into a kind of imbalance, first of all, with our labor. That uh, over time, we see the workday being extended longer and longer and working at home or from home doesn't necessarily help that people might even extend it for a longer period of time depending on uh, how compulsive they are about their or obsessive they are about their daily work but uh, uh, so it is a problem I think and uh, how is it that one uh, remains attentive to one's thoughts uh, while engaging in these works that are very demanding. Uh, I talked to a young 
man who's engages, uh, he's a computer scientist. And he says once he engages in the work, he locks in uh, his attention uh, because that's almost how it has to be in order for him to be able to make his way through the work. And so the idea of being mindful of God or remembering God with this kind of attention focused upon the labor becomes challenging. And so a person would, I think, in their life have to foster a kind of simplicity uh, that they aren't moving from that kind of labor uh, into mere distraction or entertainment. Uh, we see that be becoming, again, more and more prevalent. I think people seek to relax their minds by then uh, not necessarily turning to prayer, uh, but uh, turning to what, what we've talked about before, entertainment, that in-between world, between reality and virtual reality, and uh, uh, or between reality and fantasy, I should say. And, uh, and this is a, a problem for us. We, we have to uh, train ourselves in the context of the world in which we live. And so if we are compelled to work in a field, or this is where our skill lies, then to have a kind of simplicity that we foster, that we make use of the resources that fill the mind and the heart which, with things that lead to God. So we engage in spiritual reading. We are attentive to our study of the scriptures. We set aside time for prayer. We make an effort throughout the course of the day to pause from our labor uh, to pray, even if it is a few Jesus prayers at the top of each hour. I know some people who will set their watch to chime every hour simply that they might engage in this little discipline of turning the mind and heart God. Or someone might wear their chotki on their wrist uh, as a reminder uh, to, to pray the Jesus prayer throughout the course of the day. So simplifying one's life, not filling the rest of one's life up with entertainment and distraction, and then finding ways within that labor uh, to be able to offer it to God and to, uh, to move, as it were, back and forth in one's mind from God to that work. And uh, I think that is possible. I mentioned here once before, uh, a lecturer uh, in front of a group of college students giving a lecture on uh, Hezekiah or stillness. And uh, the students began to ask similar questions. And she said, well, within this last half an hour that I've been talking, I said the Jesus prayer 30 times. And so within the context of her work, uh, that she was able to be mindful of God, to turn the mind, her mind and her thoughts towards him in order that everything that she might be saying would be emerging from that communion with him. And I think that can uh, exist even in those who have to be listening very attentively to others. Therapists, for example, where you're being attentive to the others, you have this sustained listening to everything that they are saying about the things that they struggle with. 
but uh, one's turning of the mind and the heart to God is not going to be an obstacle to our hearing what the other is saying. If one thinks about it, if we are living uh, a grace-filled life, if the heart has been pured, if we remove the impediment of the passions, then our capacity to be attentive to the other with love and whatever work we might do, whether it's a therapist or some other labor uh, that we take up, that we would be engaging in that in a God-pleasing fashion uh, and engaging others in a way that would be pleasing to God as well. But I think in our own day, there is a need for uh, almost a greater discipline uh, living in the world uh, to have this kind of mindfulness and stillness begin to emerge. And the problem is that we've invented so many things to distract the mind and to move the mind away from God. And so I, I can't say that there's an easy way. I think the toil is greater uh, if we are engaged in work that really is demanding on an intellectual level, uh, but also on the level of attention. And so I think fostering uh, hermit days or mini retreats, I've often encouraged people, like if you have a Saturday to do a three hour uh, little mini retreat before the Blessed Sacrament in, in silence uh, or to have a hermit day once a month or retreat regularly throughout the year. Uh, ways, again, where we are fostering a mind and a heart that is set upon God. And whenever there is a kind of uh, disorder or imbalance, uh, I think we struggle with it. And that can be true with work as well. When we overvalue it, uh, then we are dedicating ourselves to something in a way that almost is making it our God. It becomes an idol for us. And if we undervalue it, as the text is telling us, then we fall into an idleness, which then prevents us from earning our keep and providing for others in, in their need. But uh, I'll leave it there for now. I think we'll come back to that and the fathers will be able to address it in greater depth than I can. Okay. It goes on to say, well, I didn't have a chance there to go through the previous paragraph. The guise of piety. It's an interesting thing that one might think that to spend all one's time in the chapel would be what God would want one to do. And one could look down at others for not doing that or for engaging in a kind of labor. And so uh, they warn against this, that there is a kind of uh, piety that is focused upon the self. Uh, and it gives piety a bad name when we do not labor uh, because it seems like laziness to the rest of the world. And indeed, that's what it is. And that's what we hear from Paul himself. Let those who don't work, don't eat. And uh, so it becomes something that is vain and prideful 
and uh, and it can give piety, he says, a shameful name. But when we combine our piety, our prayer life, with uh, working hard, then uh, the image of piety is elevated in the eyes of others. In fact, our piety, our love for God, should lead us to engage in our labor with a greater attentiveness and a greater desire to do it well, to avoid uh, doing things in half measures. Uh, this, When involved in campus ministry, this is always a difficult thing to talk to students about, that, you know, to... Uh, spend time every day in prayer or to go to daily mass or to spend time in adoration is not going to uh, diminish how it is that you engage in your studies. The things that diminish your, your studies and uh, your ability to do well is not studying or not going to class or going to too many parties and waste, wasting time. Uh, it's, prayer is going to do the opposite. It's going to free one from this kind of unnatural anxiety that emerges about work when we uh, give uh, too much value to, to grades and performance and success. Whereas if one has God as one's priority, then you're going to be able to enter into your study anxiety-free and typically be able to make your way through it with greater ease and speed than if, you're, if your mind and your heart is filled with anxiety. Typically, people are procrastinators who are anxious to begin with. The mere thought of doing the work causes them anxiety, so they put it off, but the putting it off doesn't help because eventually they have to do it. And then the night before papers do or, or before they have to take an exam, they're, they're cramming. And so it creates this flood of anxiety for them. And typically they don't do very well. And uh, so in either case, you know, doing that work outside of this clear sense of our identity and purpose, uh, I think diminishes the fashion in which we engage in it. Louise writes, a beautiful book about being with God inwardly and with the world outwardly is the practice of the presence of God by Brother Lawrence, right? And part of it is this similar kind of mindfulness of God that is ever so simple. Uh, it only takes an instant to turn the mind and the heart to God. A uh, similar book would be The Cloud of Unknowing. I don't know if anybody here is familiar with it. It was written by, they think, one of the English mystics. Uh, it's, uh, they don't know exactly who wrote it. Uh, but he wrote, uh, you know, following the science of his time, he says, it only takes an atom of a moment, the smallest fraction of a moment, to turn the mind and the heart to God. And so he said to say, even a word of a single syllable, God, love, is enough to turn the mind and the heart to God, and then to be able to set one's attention back to one's labor. And so we often rationalize our uh, unwillingness to engage in the discipline of prayer or tell ourselves that we are too busy to have a deep prayer life. And I think when we read the fathers and when we read uh, 
Brother Lawrence or the Carthusians, as Anthony writes here, uh, or the cloud of unknowing, it sort of gives the lie to that notion. The next paragraph. Beloved, if you're toiling in the monastery and you become more fatigued than others, be careful so that the evil one does not secretly bring about thoughts in you that are filled with deadly bitterness, such that you say to yourself, I am carrying out work that is worth a great salary, and yet my food is nothing. And thus ask for more or different food than the other brothers. Therefore, and therefore, for the sake of food, annul the work you've done for God. For if you think about such things, you're not walking in accord with love. Whenever you ask your reward from men, you lose that of God. It's interesting, in a monastery, even where there is this kind of balance uh, in the way that they work, um, and, and the abbot typically seeks to give the obedience to each individual that they are to fulfill for that day. And they typically all work the same number of hours. Uh, sometimes the thought can come into a mind, uh, an individual's mind, oh, I work a heck of a lot harder than that other brother. You know, he's up there sitting in the woods or, you know, loafing or taking his time at the job that he's doing, whereas mine is much more labor intensive or the abbot's more attentive to what uh, the, what I'm, I'm doing. Or maybe I, I'm the cook. And so if I'm, if I'm sitting on my hands and not doing anything, I'm not going to have the meal prepared or it's not going to be very good. And so little resentments can come into one's mind. Well, gee, I'm, I'm working harder than the others. And so uh, these next paragraphs are really very important because we have this tendency to compare ourselves to the labors of others. And in most communities, there typically will be sort of uh, an imbalance that takes place in the level of work that various individuals are doing on a given day or whatever is requ required of them. Like not everybody works on the same thing with the same speed or uh, fulfilling the same demand on every day. And so sometimes we're asked more or we'll have like a priest will have more on a weekend. Say if he has, he's scheduled for a couple of masses, he has a wedding and on a Saturday, and maybe a baptism on Sunday afternoon. Whereas somebody might have, uh, because there's a lot of priests, maybe he has only one, one mass that weekend. And he might think to my, himself, oh, who made up this schedule? You know, that guy has one mass and I have two masses, a wedding and a baptism. You know, what's going on here? And he can become a constant complainer thinking that he's being treated poorly by uh, the abbot or the superior, or the superior is not being attentive to who's making the schedule. And uh, that's a dangerous thing to fall into, because I said is that there's a kind of waxing and waning there in terms of how we engage in our work and what's demanded of us. There might be certain weekends that there are many different things that come upon uh, the other person Maybe he gets the night call, somebody's dying at the hospital and needs to be anointed. You know, these, these kinds of things. And uh, 
and so we don't always see what the other person is doing. And yet this kind of thought of seeing what the other person is doing out of your peripheral, peripheral vision is always a bad thing because comparisons can begin and then a breakdown of charity resentment has a way of creeping in. So they're all very clear. Keep your focus on your work and what it, what it is you're, that you're doing and seeking to do that with as much charity as you can. In fact, they go as far to say, you know, if you start expecting more and uh, comparing your labors to other, then you annul uh, the, the reward that it is that comes from God from doing this out of love when all of a sudden you're looking for more money or more food or better food than the other monks are getting. Now, since you await your recompense from him, do not desire those things which are offered to you by men. It is better to humble yourself before your brothers and be joyful anticipating rewards that will be given by the, the just judge who will give to each his reward according to his works and who said in this respect, who then is a faithful and wise servant whom the Lord has made ruler over his household to give them meat in the due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you, that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. So let your recompense be with the Lord. Let him be the sole uh, uh, person who determines the value of your labors, that uh, God sees with the clearest vision, whereas we often don't see what people's labors are or what it costs them to do it, or what they're doing, going through in order to fulfill it. And believe me, you know, as a, a priest who, you know, talks to a lot of people, or when you hear a lot of confessions over the course of time, there are a lot of things that people go through that are deeply hidden, that we don't know half of what people are struggling with in their day-to-day -day life. Chronic pain, you know, or what they're experiencing in relationships in their family, you know, uh, all illnesses, problems in the work or with family. We have no clue, no matter how well put together they might seem spiritually as well as within the world. There's often a lot of hidden crosses uh, that we do not see. And so we have to hand things over to the providence of God and to allow him to be the one who judges the worth of something. I also know a brother who said, I will pray to God to give his blessing to my handiwork so that the monastery might be supported by it. For this would give me great joy and I would thank God all the more. Who said, Inasmuch as ye have done unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. So the desire that others might benefit from one's labors uh, is what should be a guiding force for us. That you know, how does our work really affect others? Uh, we live in a society that's driven by 
salaries and uh, you know what it is that we need or tell ourselves that we need to purchase to live a comfortable life or secure life. And when again, when an imbalance comes into that, you know, certainly those things are true. You know, we need to be able to provide for ourselves. But when that becomes imbalanced, then we can lose sight of the other. And pretty soon others become obstacles to us. Uh, and uh, our, the focus of our work solely becomes focused upon ourselves and maybe those who are closest to us. Uh, but we can be blind to those uh, amongst whom we live. Yet another brother toiled greatly in the monastery and on account of this labor suffered greatly from temptations. He, however, answered these thoughts of his with the following words, you cantankerous servant, you have been warred against, what more can you do? So the Lord granted him comfort and gave him courage. So he could see the thoughts of resentment coming into his mind or uh, being overly focused upon uh, the cost of his labors. And, uh, and so he began to suffer temptation. And one of the ways that he was able to put it down quickly uh, was to acknowledge it. Don't you see, you fool, that you're being warred against, that the evil one is trying to make you uh, see your your work as a burden uh, rather than something that you do out of, out of love. And uh, again, that can be a very difficult thing for us to do, to have that level of self-awareness. Uh, and this takes us back to that earlier question, you know, how does one engage in this in the world? I think there are probably a thousand times during the course of a day in most work settings where one would have to catch oneself uh, in, in terms of the thoughts that one might have about another or the quality of their work or the speed with which they do that work, uh, that, uh, that we would catch ourselves being warred against uh, by the evil one who is putting a thought before us to, to think ill of another and not desire to help them in any fashion. Blessed is the monk who keeps the commandments of the Lord and continually attends to the following three, three, devotion and prayer, work and study. For the Holy Scripture says, be still and know that I am God. And again, I am poor and in troubles from my youth up. And finally, and in his law shall he meditate day and night. So prayer, work and study that these are the things that keep us rooted. Uh, the scriptures tell us, Isaiah says, the Lord is an eternal rock. And one of the ways that we find steadiness in our day-to-day -day life is to keep our minds and our hearts fixed upon him. And so it's inevitable that I think when we in engage other people or you know, we have to deal with our own moods uh, with our own fatigue uh, or the demands of that labor, that we have to be rooted on something or in something that is greater than ourselves, standing upon that eternal rock where we are unmoved 
even though our day might seem like chaos or that one thing is coming at, at us after another and or it doesn't seem like the day will ever end or that we'll make it through the day uh, it's then that it becomes very important that that we have spent that time in prayer and meditating a, upon the scripture and working in this kind of way that is being put before us that we do these things for love of the lord i think one of the maybe the best things that we could do in transforming the way that we look at the work is to call it what the monks called their work in the monastery that they are given their obedience at the beginning of the day by the abbot and by obedience was meant the work that they were supposed to do during the day and i was just at a monastery here not too long ago and that's exactly what happens after you know, uh, morning prayer and divine liturgy and is completed and the breakfast is taken at the very end of the meal uh, before the final blessing the abbot says okay you brother you do this today and it might not be on his radar that he's going to be cleaning out the gutters that day but the abbot saw that the gutters were overflowing in the last storm and so but he has to take that up with a kind of okay this is what the abbot asked me to do. And so even though it's pre preventing me from doing the thing that I had set my mind on, that if I take that up with love, then that's pleasing in the uh, eyes of God. And it was funny to watch some of their faces because you see that there's that like little micro gesture when you see a person struggle just for that moment to say, yes, okay, I can, I'll do that. But you can see that like little, the, like the eyes squint a little bit. And it, when they're, they have that thought, crap, I was thinking about, I had this work that I wanted to do and now I have to clean out the gutters. Or there was one day I was there and uh, the flu wasn't uh, drawing. So the first night I was there, uh, they had lit a fire and smoke and in the morning was filling the refractory. And so the next day, the abbot asked someone, well, this brother knows what to do, but he's old now. So we need somebody to get up there and take directions from him. And so one of the younger brothers had to get up on the roof, you know, find his way across the roof to get to where the flu was to be able to do the work uh, to clean it. Uh, but uh, it's a, a training ground for the human heart. And, uh, you know, I would never think anything ill of somebody having one of those little micro gestures because <laughs> I know uh, that I have a ton of them a day myself. Uh, when something comes up unexpectedly, you have your whole day planned and then the phone rings and then like it's like rats, you know, it's I'm pulled out of what I was hoping to accomplish. And uh, so this is where I think we take what the fathers are talking about learning to look at our work as obedience is given to us by God and that we carry it out with love and that we do everything in our capacity uh, to form the mind and the heart in such a way that we are able to do that more and more naturally. That becomes the way that we look at our life and we look at our work and even the difficulties 
of that work as well. And it's not an easy thing. I mean, I, I think this is something that takes years, uh, even for monks, again, living in circumstances like that, where that's the norm uh, to be attentive to it, that it's hard. And so it's going to be hard for us as well. Beloved, if you are living in a Cenobitic monastery with brothers, be of humble mind, serving your brothers in all things, such that your good behavior also leads to what is good in those who find themselves in the monastery after their formerly wretched lives. When they shall see you so, they too will come to prepare their souls for the work of the commandments. Therefore, when the superiors order that you submit to some work together with the brothers, eagerly run and do not wait for another to get there before you. Neither have dealings with those who are lazy, who damage themselves by their laziness, and who are thus greatly injured. First of all, they are worthy of condemnation for their disobedience, selfishness, and sluggishness. Besides this, they lose any reward for their labors. And thirdly, and more importantly, they give reason to others for complaining, backbiting, and disobedience. They will render an account to God who will judge them for their spiritual damage done to others. So it's interesting, you know, we don't work again, in this kind of individualistic fashion, the way we work has an impact upon others. And so the way a monk works is going to affect everyone who comes to that monastery and is exploring a vocation. And so as soon as they receive that obedience, they're to hop to it, you know, not dawdle. And, uh, you know, I think we all know that very well, too. Like, and other things can come to mind that we just want to take care of before we get to that labor. And th this is a, a kind of no-no in the monastic mindset that uh, we're giving ourselves over to a kind of disobedience in that. First of all, we're telling ourselves in our own mind, well, this actually has more priority. So I'm going to sneak it in and try to do it before I get to the work that's been given to me and uh but if we are lazy also in getting to that work and uh wait for others to get there before we start engaging in the work we slow down the whole process and all of a sudden a kind of laziness begins to take over and this opens the door to all the different things they talks about complaining backbiting disobedience why is the abbot asking us to do that why do we need to clear this brush? You know, it's not causing any trouble. Just let it grow kind of thing. And, uh, you know, I worked for one of the counties and uh, uh, one of the townships in, in the Pittsburgh area as a summer job uh, for a couple of summers. Once I worked for the road crew and uh, once I worked uh, for the parks and there are an amazing number of parks in this one part of Pittsburgh where we were supposed to go around and clean up. And, uh, and it was interesting. Uh, they don't want you. It was the, the guys who were full-time, not working summer jobs, but were full-time. If you work too fast, it, it was made people look bad. 
And you, you don't want to finish a job too soon where you finish it before day's end for then the manager will have to find something else for, for you to do. And so it had this effect upon slowing work down to a crawl. Work that could be done in a couple of hours might take a whole week to finish. And, but you can see the effect that it would have, that it had on the men because it led them to have, uh, I think it diminished their work in their own eyes. So it did lead to this kind of complaining and bitterness and resentment about things and, uh, you know, or, and driving, you know, there would be a tendency to drive, take the long way around always, you know, to, to a place where you're going to work. All those things can begin to emerge. And so the, the monks saw that very well. It's not like simply because they entered in the monastery that they were going to be free of these, these tendencies that we have as human beings to a kind of laziness, you know, that you could sort of mosey out into the woods or to the place where you're to do this work and take all this time to set up your tools to get working. Uh, and then before you know it, the bell rings for prayer or lunch. And that's where you see where the person's true heart is. Because when the bell rings for lunch, everybody runs. But when the bell rings for prayer or work, you know, everybody's sort of moving sl slow. And, uh, and so these are the kind of things that we have to struggle with. I mean, even, you know, living in the world, getting to work on time, being early, that used to be a sign of respect or that you valued your job. And, uh, and so, again, these are the things that we can em embrace. And we embrace them not only for ourselves, but, but for others. You know, we are as responsible for our neighbor and the way that they engage their work by the example that we, we give. Well, Alexandra writes, this is the issue I have while working remote. I really, really, really don't like it need to remember that I should work for God. Yeah, because there's nobody there uh, to see you. And so your work role has to be internalized uh, and internalized deeply because it would be so easy, as you know, nobody's going to see you. And so you can be running around the house and, you know, and going to get a glass of water and a little snack and, you know, looking at YouTube and things like that, and nobody's going to know the better. And uh, and so this is where this kind of watchfulness comes into play. You know, am I really engaging in this work for God, the one who who's given it to me? And you remember we talked about uh, Father uh, Lazarus. Uh, there's a little YouTube documentary on him called The Last Anchorite. And he lives as a hermit above the monastery of St. Anthony. And, uh, and at one point he's interviewed and he said, I could, I, could, I could sleep for 19 hours a day up here and nobody would know, you know, because, you know, he's up high in the mountain and he has his certain labors and jobs that he does and building stair stairways and things like that, or gathering food or carrying water. But if he wanted to, he could sleep his days away. 
And uh, but and he said, this is why I have to interiorize the life in a very deep way that it has to be rooted in my desire for God. Otherwise, I'm not going to persevere very long as a hermit. And so if you're working remotely all the time, it's like you're the modern day hermit <laughs> in your home doing your labor by yourself all day. And you're going to be your own abbot. Your conscience has to become your abbot who's telling you, okay, get to work. You know, when when you want to slack off. You then, brother, must pay them no heed, for no one ever says at harvest time, since my neighbor is not reaping wheat for himself, neither will I reap wheat for myself. <laughs> so nobody ever does that. Nobody says, okay, he's not going to, you know, reap the harvest for himself so that he has no food, and so I'm not going to do it either. Because uh, when the you know food is ready to harvest, then we're going to do we're going to definitely work then because we're going to be motivated. But on the contrary, every person, whenever he has the time, gathers food for himself and for his animals, so as not to be in need when winter comes. If then we take such care for the things of the flesh, should we not all the more pay attention to spiritual things? If again, you are ill in body and cannot work like those who labor in the fields, sincerely show your best intention and those who see your illness and your weakness will lighten your load. Nevertheless, do not allow them to take the whole burden from you, but entreat them with the words, but I want to do my part along with you and work with them with all the power that the Lord has given you, and thus gain great recompense from God. This is an interesting thing, uh, both in terms of one's labor and one's spiritual life, that illness uh, is not to become an immediate excuse. for. And often we will do that when we're feeling sick or even feeling like we have a cold, and our minds a little bit clouded will will want to let off of work and or let off take a vacation from the spiritual life too uh and the fathers are pretty clear about this that this can we be a great temptation for us to fall into a kind of idleness that we're able to engage in a certain amount of work even when we, when we are ill and that we can, we have a tendency to pamper the body. And uh, we don't like to admit that, but I think that's true. It's probably more true for men from what I hear that uh, they become big babies whenever they get sick. Uh, but uh, I don't know if that's true or not. I'm sure there's quite a few women out there that get like that too. But uh, it seems like, you know, if a mother's sick, she's still gonna feed her kids you know, and uh, and so we have to be careful of this, that we we continue to work as, as well as we can. We allow others to re uh, relieve our burden for us when they see it, but we stay, stay working with them. And same thing with prayer, unless we, of course, are told by the abbot not to, or if our illness is to such an extent that we, we certainly cannot. This will come up again for us to discuss. And 
it's maybe a harder thing for us to embrace, uh, um, especially in our day. You know, I, I think that we've become, I don't know how to put this, hypochondriacs, uh, a lot of, <laughs> you know, headaches, sniffles, whatever it might be, that it can really debilitate us because it's easy to get into that frame of mind. A mental health day, they never had mental health days in the past. We call them personal days, right? Is that what they are? Personal days, are, uh, which is really a mental health day. They're not allowed to even ask you why you're taking that off. You're just allowed to take that personal day, personal time off uh, uh, because you feel that you need, you know, to relax your mind. And, uh, but that's, that can be fraught with danger. It can alter not just that one day, but it can have an effect upon our spiritual life and the way we work as a whole. Any questions before we go on to Abba Isaiah? Okay. Letter G from Abba Isaiah. Brother, take care not to ignore your handiwork with the excuse that you are observing a commandment of God but attend to it with the fear of God so that you do not fall to sin without knowing it. When you are learning various handicrafts, express your doubts to the one who is showing them to you, but do not permit yourself to say continuously to him, brother, do me a favor and see if this is all right or not. If you are dwelling with another brother and he is doing some extra work, do some work yourself taking part in his labor so that your conscience is at peace, and so as not to cause distress to your body. At no time, however, should you ask to learn about the handicraft of your brother, whether he does more work than you or you more than he. Occupy yourself exclusively with your own work, and the fear of God will dwell in your soul. For idleness is death and misleads the soul. So isn't it interesting? Do not ask a brother if um, do, if you're doing this all right or not. Isn't that a curious thing? It's like not asking for another's evaluation of your work and uh, to not opening that door for another to express the value of it or lack of value of it. Because we can be driven by that. If somebody has a certain opinion of a, a, a labor or they don't think it's worth anything or worth time or then, you know, or if they think if they have little opinion of the quality of it, then we can become discouraged and let off of that work altogether or not want to do that work anymore. And so, again, start complaining uh, about it to the abbot or to others. Um, and so if you see somebody taking, uh, doing more work than yourself, you know, allow yourself to respond to your conscience to help them. Uh, uh, and so not to ask to learn the handicraft of, of your brother. Again, the, this, while it seems innocent, it can be an excuse to distract yourself from the labor that has been entrusted to you by the abbot or by the superior or the, that you happen to have within the world. Uh, Cardinal Baronius, 
he wrote the first uh, sort of modern history of the church. And uh, it was a brilliant man. And, uh, and but Philip Neary was his superior. And uh, knowing that this brilliance and how revered he was for this uh, uh, like kings and prelates within the church were asking for copies of it. And, uh, and so knowing that he could be puffed up by it, you know, Philip had the poor guy, you know, working in the kitchen so much so often that he inscribed on the wall. You can see it inscribed on the wall, Baronius. Uh, it was written in Latin, Baronius Perpetual Cook. <laughs> so here was this brilliant guy. And uh, and yet every day he was in the kitchen helping to prepare the common meal. And uh, when he had to have uh scribes copy these books for people who wanted to purchase them he had to pay them for the work that they were doing and pay them out of his own money and uh and when he received money you know philip told him well you know you have to give that to the community you know and here he's thinking you know i've just i've spent all my <laughs> spent all my money and i'm you know uh, to to do this work. And so I'm going to be poverty stricken. And then eventually Philip allows him to have the work when he, when he obeys. But all these things can creep in, uh, taking too much pride in one's work, as well as, uh, again, shifting one's attention to another's work. So allow our, there to be a constancy where we keep ourselves focused upon doing that work that has been entrusted to us with as much love as possible. And then I think that's when we see that, then, you know, someone who cleans or sweeps a broom, you know, can be working with greater love than someone who seems to be doing something of great import within the life of the world. Uh, or seems to be a huge success, but it can, it can it can be driven completely by self-esteem or self-interest. Whereas somebody who comes home stinking of sweat every night and exhausted physically, you know, they might be doing that work with love and, and attentiveness, uh, not only to God, but to, to simply doing the work well. Some some of the nicest guys that I knew growing up were blue, these blue collar workers, you know, who worked in the mills and and they they worked hard. And but you could you could see it in their character, you know, there was just something about them that was different. I think that's why even Pittsburgh has this reputation, even though it's sort of past. Now that the steel mills have closed, you know, and been closed for so long, but it was like Pittsburgh tough. You know, the Pittsburgh was a, a working man's town. And so it had this reputation. And, you know, that's why we even name our football team, the Pittsburgh Steelers, you know, after steel workers, you know, that uh, we were a tough city and took took pride in that.
letter H from the Gerontcon. Abba Macarius the Great once went to visit Abba Anthony on his mountain. When he arrived, he knocked on the door of his cell. So Abba Anthony came out of his cell and said, you, who are you? Sounds like my grandfather. <laughs> who the heck are you? What do you want? I am Marcarius, the visitor replied. On hearing this, Abba Anthony went inside and having closed the door, left Marcarius outside. After some hours, seeing his patience, another opened the door and said graciously, after hearing of you, I have for a great deal of time wanted to meet you. And indeed, he exhausted Father Macarius with his hospitality. When evening approached, Abba Anthony soaked Thalia, that is, young branches of palm, for his handiwork. Allow me to soak some too, Abba Macarius said to him. Soak, Abba Anthony answered him. And putting together a large bundle, he soaked them in water. They then sat down together the whole night, speaking about the salvation of the soul and plating. And their woven ropes reached from the opening of the cell down into the cave. As the dawn broke on the cave, the blessed Anthony saw the length of Abba Macarius's rope and said, great power comes forth from those hands. So interesting. You know, Macarius was a great and holy soul. Both of them were. Uh, but Anthony, certainly having this reputation in the desert, puts him to the test. He sees his humility, welcomes him in, offers his hospitality. Uh, but then he sees also Macarius's, you know, uh, not only his humility, but the, his obedience, how he engages in this work. That there's great power that comes from your hands, that the way that you work reveals something really powerful within you and within your heart, that he, what he made with his hands throughout the course of that night far exceeded even what Anthony had made. So that there was a kind of focus, attention, and love in this simple work that re revealed what was within the heart. And this is a simple little story, but I think wonderful for that reason, that Anthony is able to see so much uh, of of Mercurius in, in that. And it tells us something, that whether or not we think people see it, they do. And more importantly, God sees it. And so the simple work of plating, of taking palm branches, soaking them in water, making mats out of them, uh, or parts of mats out of them, uh, revealed to Anthony, here is an obedient soul. Here's one who works with a kind of focus that could only come from engaging in that work in that way for many years. So it's a beautiful thing uh, because I, I think it gives us a kind of peace of mind and heart when life is a drudgery or when work can seem unsatisf uns unsatisfying uh, or hidden uh, unrecognized by others, that the way that we go about it is seen by God and that it does reflect, you know, not just our capacity to work or skill, but what it reflects is what is within our heart, our, the love that we have for God.
you know, that we, we hear the voice of God in the call to labor, you know, that we take that, we take it up as coming from the hand of God himself. And so we should never forget that because then, you know, even if, you know, somebody's gruff with us, treats us poorly, or again, if we're not feeling well, or if it's a work that we don't like, if we take it up with love, then it's, you know, forming the heart, but it's also creating an intimacy with God. Marine writes, do you think they were so hard on monks because they understood spiritual warfare? Yeah, you know, the monastic life certainly wasn't for, for everyone, and certainly the desert life wasn't for everyone. And so, um, you know, people would come out of curiosity or maybe with a romanticized view of it. And so it was their responsibility to put that desire within, within the human heart to test and to see if it was genuine and if it would be something that would endure. And so they weren't afraid to, to, to uh, you know, make people wait or see how, watch how they work or give them an unpleasant labor. I always tell women this in our day, don't settle. It's really hard to find a good Catholic guy out there. And I have to tell Catholic guys this too, because it comes, it's very difficult to find somebody who is Catholic, Christian, and more than name whose heart has really been formed and shaped by it. And uh, the, a kind of loneliness or desire to be with someone, which is natural, can be such a powerful pulling that, you know, that it can lead to a kind of sadness if one does not find that. But it's such an important thing to uh, discern well what is within the heart of the other. Uh, that you're worth it in that sense. You're, and certainly your heart is worth it. Uh, not, not to settle for some, someone for whom that uh, faith is only a mask, you know, to be worn. And, uh, and so, th again, the, these stories reveal a lot to us, you know, how a person works, the, you know, their attitude about things can show us a person's heart and certainly how they engage in their spiritual labors too. You know, the, how they fast, how they, you know, the, the regularity with which they go to church, feast days, you know, their daily prayer. You know, these are the things that one would want to be looking for. Not simply success within the, the world. You might marry somebody who's a real terror, and then your life will just be a cross <laughs> in its own way. <laughs> so it's 8.30 on that cherry note. Uh, we'll solve for the night. But uh, uh, th these are wonderful uh, little hypotheses that we're getting into now. The nitty-gritty of day-to-day -day life and how everything is touched by the grace of God, including our work. And not so not to take those things for granted as if they're insignificant. Okay, so won't we close as always with our Father. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Our Father, 
who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks be to God. Thank you all. Have a great week.